0: Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of COVID in Africa, a weekly podcast on Africa's response to the coronavirus brought to you by Sound Africa. To be clear, while we will endeavor to give you the most up to date, accurate information about the coronavirus crisis, our goal is mainly to pursue some of the systemic and underreported issues underlying the crisis and also to bring some interesting human interest stories. I'm your host, JD Ramalap. I'm curious, how are you doing? Are you panicked yet? Feeling afraid? What are you doing today? What's happening in your kitchen, your lounge, or your neighborhood? What do you see from where you're sitting? I'm in my room in a house I share with four housemates, two of them recent graduates who were interning at their first jobs here in Cape Town, but are now locked into their rooms because they can't go to work or travel back home. The other two are entrepreneurs who were in the process of setting up their businesses, a restaurant, and a shop selling kombucha drinks. We're all on day one of the 21-day lockdown in South Africa, which was announced by the president this week, following a spike in corona cases to over 900 cases. Counting. It's the first time that South Africa has been in a state of emergency and lockdown since the apartheid regime collapsed more than 20 years ago. And for me, life feels normal, momentous, and even strange at the same time. Just before recording this, I got a message from a family friend living in Israel, which made this virus even more real. She said, I've been having strange symptoms, severe headaches with heaviness, then slight nose bleeding, a strange sore throat like my throat has been scorched. Now it's severe dizziness. My head is spinning and I can't stand or walk steadily. This started in the early hours of this morning, coupled with confusion. And she's alone, in Israel. This virus is spreading so fast it's hard to pin down the exact figures, but according to stats by the World Health Organization, by Thursday the 26th of March, there were over 3,000 cases reported in 46 countries in Africa. 83 people have already succumbed to the virus in 10 countries. Algeria, Burkina Faso, Egypt, the GRC, Ghana, Gabon, Mauritius, Morocco, Sudan, and Tunisia. The recovery rate is still higher than deaths, with 254 people having recovered from the disease around the continent. But it seems as if things could get much worse before they get any better. For example, researchers at Verst University projected that one million people could be infected with the virus within the next 40 days in the country. It's an alarming figure, considering some of the existing challenges facing the country and its people. And it has gotten people feeling afraid, and many are starting to panic and are asking difficult questions. How do you know if you have the virus, since it is mostly asymptomatic? Um, When is the right moment to consult a doctor, is it better to wait and self-quarantine for 14 days, or is it safer to test before the flu-like symptoms get worse?
1: It's also a bizarre experience going around, trying not to touch anyone or get close to anybody. It's like you yourself are some sort of a bomb, and no one else can, can see.
0: That's our producer, Rasmus Bits. He was not feeling well this week, so he decided to go and get tested.
1: So um, earlier this week, our little editorial team spoke via Zoom because uh, we're all working from home now. And we were talking about what you're supposed to do if you think you might have corona. Turned out that none of us were 100% sure. So I got the task of finding out. And then this happened. When I woke up this morning, I was definitely feeling fluish. Um, I was like a bit sweaty, as if I had fever. And um, I had this funny feeling in my throat, a headache, uh, and again, this like kind of body aches. Nothing too bad actually, just, you know, enough um, to make me think, okay, it's probably the corona. My wife and I were already in self-isolation because she had only last week come back from Australia. She'd been there for work. We were four days into the two-week period when both of us started feeling fluish. We decided to not do anything about it that night, but the next morning, nothing had improved. You know, under normal circumstances, I would probably have just like taken it easy today and not you know, made any big deal out of it. Um, But since we are now in the early stages of this international pandemic reaching South Africa, the question that I have is uh, whether or not I should do anything uh, different. Um, Should we, you know, report this? Do we need to get tested? Um, What is the right thing to do? In short, we didn't want to overwhelm a system that was already under pressure because we had the flu. But at the same time, if we had the virus, the authorities probably should know so they could warn the people my wife had sat next to on the plane. We really didn't know what to do, but fortunately we had WhatsApp. There's this uh, brilliant thing uh, actually on WhatsApp here in South Africa called the Corona Hotline. Um, And if you just write hi to that number, you get directly to the Corona hotline where there is um, a whole like, you know, menu. I wrote testing because I want to know if I need to get tested or not. And it says that if you feel you've been exposed to COVID-19 or showing slight symptoms, one should avoid contact with other people in your community and self-isolate. So that's what we're doing, right? Um, But then there is the next point, which is if you feel you're ill and need non-urgent medical care, call your doctor to ask how to be tested. But I still didn't really know what to do because I didn't feel like I needed medical attention, but I wasn't sure if my wife's travel meant that we should report our symptoms. So I decided to call the hotline.
2: This call will be free of charge for all zero-rated calls.
1: Okay, that's weird. Uh...
2: This call will be free of charge for all zero-rated calls. Okay. This call will be free of charge for all zero-rated calls.
1: I kept trying the hotline for a while, but the line kept dropping. In the end, I called my own GP, Dr. Maria Klock, who'd set up a special corona phone consultation so the practice wouldn't be full of people suspecting they had the virus. And when she called me back, we went through a whole lot of questions. Can you tell me, sir, did you recently travel in the past two or three weeks or did you have contact with anyone, close contact who has previously traveled to or from high-risk areas? Did she spend time in transit or did she fly directly? And have you been in contact the past 2 or 3 weeks with any travelers? When did your symptoms start and could you describe your symptoms? Do you feel very really tired? Do you have
2: muscle aching or joint pain?
1: Yeah, yeah, tired as well as muscle aching, and joint pain. In the end, my score meant that I should get tested.
0: right, let me talk you through the process of testing. So currently, um, we are testing all patients who
2: fit the profile according to um, the National Center for Infectious Diseases Protocol, which is based on that of the WHO, the World Health Organization.
1: According to my doctor, if you think you may have corona, you should first consult the corona hotline via WhatsApp, or by phone if their screening shows you should be tested you should contact your local clinic or health center who go through another set of questions like my doctor did with me if they then determine you're at risk they'll send a test team out to you where you live but for people with access to their own transport and health insurance or money to pay for the test themselves you really shouldn't take resources from a public system already under pressure I've just gotten into my car. I'm um, going to drive up to uh, my doctor. Hello, hello. You're speaking to Rasmus Bits. Um, I'm supposed to pick up a uh, form, um, but it's uh, one of those COVID ones, so I'm outside and... uh, you are you on our steps? Yeah, uh, I'm in my car still. Okay. And if you could just come to the bottom of the steps and I will then fix the form in the front because I'm right in the back of the office and then I will sort of hold it out the gate for you. Okay. So far, so good. I've gotten my form from the doctor S-C-H. and now need to go to the mobile testing center at Mediclinic to get tested. It's really weird driving uh, through Cape Town on a day like today, you know. Um, I don't know if I've ever seen it this empty before. Not only that, it's also a bizarre experience going around trying not to touch anyone or get close to anybody. It's like you yourself are some sort of bomb. (laughs) And no one else can can see. When I get there, it's almost closing time and there's no one waiting. Only a strange setup of plastic chairs on a parking lot. Under normal circumstances, they would seem bizarrely far apart, like the cheap chairs were being exhibited. But it isn't normal circumstances. At least not until it comes to the cornerstone of private healthcare. Filling out forms. Eh, what's that? Definitely. Yeah. On one of the forms, I have to give the details of everyone side, I've been in close contact with for in the past week. With, with, with. Again, I get this weird feeling of guilt or shame, like I'm listing everyone I hooked up with because I've now got an STD. Yeah, it's almost nobody. I mean, since, since um, Thursday, since then we've been isolating, like... At this point, I'm truly grateful I did what the government WhatsApp bot told me to do and isolated last week. So, my list is very short. Almost as short as the waiting line for the test. I'm the only one here, and I go to the lab quickly.
0: I guess I'm gonna have two swabs Mm -hmm. Um, one for the nose and one for the throat. The one that goes into the nose is quite uncomfortable. Okay. So, but you're gonna be fine. Yeah.
1: The nurse is very friendly. She tells me to tilt my head back and produces a very long cotton swab. She begins pushing it up my nose and continues much further than I thought was even possible. So far that I'm expecting soon to find out what it feels like when it hits the brain. Sorry. I
2: want to blow your nose?
1: Just, no, I'm okay. okay. Yeah. okay. <laughs> Not the most she does another swab in my throat and seems satisfied with the result.
2: That's it. That was a very long one.
0: Sure. <laughs> that's hope you got
1: what you needed.
0: Yes, definitely. It's a very nice, nice specimen. <laughs> and
2: that's it. That's all I'm doing sure. for you today.
1: Okay, it is actually right. pretty Thank painless you. and over quickly, and I can go home. After paying the 940 Rand testing fee, that is. I really hope they disinfect that cart machine regularly. So I've had some trouble like getting through on the phones to um, quite a few people today. But that being said, it has been really easy for me. I am from uh, Denmark. That's one of the countries that's been hit really hard very early on with this uh, virus. And I know a lot of people have had trouble getting tested there. They basically locked down the country like a couple of weeks ago. But a lot of people who had the symptoms couldn't even get tested they were just told to go and stay at home if you go through the private system at this point in south africa it is very easy um it's basically easier than than a northern european country so to sum up what i've learned if you're in south africa and you think you've got the coronavirus check out the government WhatsApp helpline first. The number is plus twenty seven six zero zero one two three four five six. 2760-0123456. And if you're still in doubt, call the hotline on 0800-029-999. And it's important that you check these resources first because the circumstances might change at any moment. What I've also learned is that testing for the virus at this point in South Africa is quick and easy for relatively otherwise healthy people from the middle class, the very same people who've been largely responsible for spreading the virus around the globe, for people like me. For the actually rich, well, lockdown in a mansion doesn't sound too bad, does it? How the public system will cope once more cases start coming in, we're slowly beginning to find out. If you're so inclined, include those healthcare workers in your prayers. We'll need them now more than ever. The last thing I learned was the result of my test. It came in just 24 hours after I took it via an SMS from the laboratory. It was negative, and I most likely only have an ordinary flu. That's my own personal strange silver lining.
0: Even though the numbers... In Africa are rapidly increasing. The number of people who've been infected is still lower than in most countries around the world. A few countries like Sierra Leone, Burundi, South Sudan, and Zambia have not reported any corona cases so far, and many are wondering if it's a matter of weather or temperature or something else. The spread of the virus on the continent presents a number of challenges due to the crowded living and transportation conditions and also pre-existing illnesses, such as HIV and AIDS and tuberculosis. Sierra Leone is one of a few, if not only, West African countries which has not recorded a single case of coronavirus yet. And the country's president, Julius Mada Bio is not taking any chances. Lambar is a journalist based in Freetown, Sierra Leone. He is also the president of the Sierra Leonean Journalists Union, and we spoke with him via WhatsApp. And messages kept flooding in while we were speaking. Let's just go back a little bit into 2014, um, when there was an outbreak of Ebola. Um, in uh, in West Africa. Can we just go to the very beginning?
2: Ebola took all of us um, as a surprise, uh, especially those of us who we are working in the capital, Freetown. Um, we were part of that community who think, um, you know, actually Ebola, people who just eat uh, bushmeat, people in rural communities are the only ones who get infected, not until it came to the capital, Freetown. So um, even the media yeah, you know, all such journalists, um, you know, we only started um, reporting intensively um, the Ebola outbreak when it came closer and we started recording cases in Freetown. I was part of a team of um, journalists who volunteered. We started um, a radio program, a simulcast radio program. Um, I was one of the presenters as well, working as a producer. So... Um, over 100 radio stations in the country to the media body, the cellular Association of journalists came together and volunteered at that time and media owners as well um, gave up um, um, hours on their radio stations as well on TV to broadcast um, a simulcast program produced by different people from different media houses on Ebola awareness.
0: This COVID-19 is is a little bit different, right, compared to what happened in 2014, because now the president has announced a 12-month state of emergency. I mean, do you think that it's extreme? How are Sierra Leoneans reacting to this?
2: Um, It's it's clearly very, very different. You know, um, it seems we are more prepared now based on the experience we had with um, Ebola, been putting measures in place veronica Bucket are out so many people are not shaking hands people are not shaking hands actually um social distancing even though it's a challenge but it's happening in different places as well and um, the president like you said announced a state of um, emergency 12 months this is the first time we're having a 12-month state of emergency in recent time so it has been met with mixed feelings as as we speak uh, members of parliament are discussing it whether they should adjust the date because they have the power to um, whether I agree with the president or say, no, this is too long, we need to reduce it to six months or three months as well. But the president actually um, did what the constitution states. He's, um, he did not violate any law. But it has been met with mixed feelings. People, politicians in the opposition, uh, think there is a political motive behind this, and their supporters as well. But those in governance believe the president is taking the right measures, you know, to um, prevent the country from um, registering a case of Ebola. And my you, Sierra Leone is the only country presently in this sub-region and in West Africa to not have registered a single case of coronavirus, the COVID-19.
0: What are some of the measures that will be involved in this 12-month state of emergency, what are the things
2: that uh, people will not be able to do? Public gathering above 100 people is banned. Um, The issue of sporting activities, they've banned that as well. Airlines are not coming in as of over the weekend on the 22nd. Um, A ban on commercial flights coming to the country. Um, The city council announced trading restrictions from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Shops should be closed by 7 p.m. Parliamentary debates today will determine what next move the president will have to take. So um, it's obvious um, a lockdown. Is, is imminent. What lessons
0: do you think that um, some of the other African countries like South Africa can learn from Sierra Leone, um, given your experience with um, the Ebola virus outbreak in 2014? Are there lessons that you think could be um, replicated um, in helping other countries contain the virus or in terms of, you know, uh, public
2: awareness? Yes, I think with us, what helped us actually is... Um, proactive measures taken by governments. Even when the the COVID-19 was in China, in Wuhan, um, people who were coming from China were being screened and quarantined. I think um, the the, the things people can learn, other countries can learn from us, is proactive measures and um, acting even before registering a case. Um, the, The government started acting even when cases were in China, and the students who were coming from China, people who went to do business coming from China, they were put on 14 days um, quarantine. And um, that helped a lot. So we were able to contain and maintain um, the, the, the zero status we have so far. I think um, um, public awareness, because what's the... Um, the government DDI is to engage religious leaders. We have um, an interreligious council that they engage traditional um, and community leaders as well. They have responsibility to engage their people. Above all is um, taking responsibility um, and um, every individual believing in and understanding that we all have a responsibility to ensure that we stay safe, um, we keep our family safe, we keep our community safe and we keep our country safe. So that the message us as media people have been passing that, um, you know, stay staying zero from COVID-19 comes with the responsibility of the individual.
0: You know, there were some reports that after some of the lockdowns that you experienced there in Sierra Leone in 2014, there was like an increase in uh, pregnancies afterwards. Is there any truth to that? Well,
2: I could say yes, yes. Um, 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 you know, especially when c- schools will be closing down. I-, I didn't mention that, but schools and colleges will be closing down by the 31st of this month. So. Kids will be staying home and university students as well will be staying home. So, um, you know, rights groups are raising issues presently on how government should take action to prevent um, teenage girls from getting pregnant because, like you said, when we had the lockdown during Ebola, we had a lot of teenage mothers after the Ebola outbreak. A lot of girls who became mothers... Um, who became pregnant because they were staying with um, perpetrators, people who could take advantage of them in their communities. So they became pregnant and were out of school.
0: From a journalistic perspective, what sort of advice could you give uh, media practitioners or um, journalists who are going to be out there in the front lines? Are there any lessons you think that you can advise journalists to take in terms of either precautions or even just the practice of... Collecting and disseminating information?
2: Um, I always say, you know, the news is as important as my life, and um, I need to protect myself. I have a family, I have a wife, and um, I will not want to get infected and put them into danger. So as, as president of the Serialin Reporters Union, we've developed a guide, a guide we used uh, during Ebola, telling journalists to, um, you know, get protective gears if they're going close to people they think are, are, are people who are positive of um, coronavirus, if we have a case here, or if they go into communities where there are uh, suspected cases. We've advised them to always have with them um, hand sanitizers, and um, they should sanitize their equipment as well and if they feel sick they should stay home and check themselves they should not put their newsroom their colleagues and their places of work at risk um you, you know because they just want to work so for us it's taking more precautionary measures and also wanting to stay safe and alive to report these stories on the other hand it's about um you know fake news. It's about disinformation, it's about getting the right stories. That is a challenge all of us as um, African journalists and journalists across the world are faced with presently. But we also have a responsibility to let the people get the real stories. In the instance when even journalists are sharing fake news or are peddling fake news, then it becomes very worrying. So we are working on how we can get our colleagues. We are about developing. I'm setting up a fact check, a fact checker platform where colleagues can drop their information if they have doubts about such information, where we can help to get direct to the officials. Towards the end of our interview, Barr
0: shared a very sad story, which demonstrates some of the terrible and irreversible consequences of sharing fake or false information on
2: social media platforms. A week ago, my colleague, uh, the editor of the newspaper where I'm working, um, lost his wife. Um, the lady was somewhere doing business. Um, She's a petty trader. Someone came and told her um, the, the, the school where um, a kid is attending, they're giving the kids injection, coronavirus injection. So she was trying to rush to go to the school to pick her kid up. Then she collapsed, she dropped dead. Um, the, by the time they were taken her to the hospital, she is already dead. So that's just one example of how fake news is affecting our society. Someone has to lost their, uh, lose their life just because of fake news. So um, it's a very serious challenge and it's important as journalists we try as best as much to verify our news before we send it out to the public.
0: That's all from us this week. I hope we've not left you feeling too depressed, but if you promise to join us again next week, we'll dive a bit more into life in lockdown and what you can do to cope with the change of pace. If you like what we do, please don't hesitate to show us some love. You can go to our website to learn how, or if you have a story about Corona you'd like us to share, send us a mail to info at soundafrica.org and we'll be sure to get in touch with you. You've been listening to the very first episode of COVID in Africa, a podcast brought to you by Sound Africa, executive produced by Rasmus Bits, story editor Kelly-Eve Gwopman with contributions from journalist Lam Ba in Freetown, Sierra Leone. Music in this episode is by Poddington Bear and Chocolat Billy. I'm JJ Ramalapa. Merci. Obrigado. Shukran. Asante sana. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening and stay healthy.